episode five of Lost called White Rabbit. If you like this episode, please consider, please, please, please consider, <laughs> if you like this episode, please consider leaving us a rating. If you like this episode, hey, if you like it, <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating or a review or maybe even subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts because it would really help us out. Please. <laughs> you could follow us on Instagram at You've Lost Me Pod. And we should have a Twitter coming soon. Pretty soon. Okay, enjoy. A 250-pound rat with scimitar-like tusks and a surly disposition who'd love nothing more than to eviscerate anything comes near. It's beautiful. (laughs) I love this song. (laughs) Last week, Anna said that that line sounded like the spoken part of a Johnny Cash (laughs) song. Wow. We should be on Johnny Cash's jam. (laughs) What? We should be on Punch Up the Jam. Oh, Because you really punched that up. I really did. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, I have a song. Do you want to try to figure out how it's related to this episode? Is it to this episode? Yeah. Do you want to play it before or after the episode? No. Play it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Have you heard this song before? It's an instrumental hidden track. In what? It's uh, it's from the Jefferson Airplane album Sirens. <laughs> okay, it's from the Jefferson Airplane album Surrealistic Pillow from 1967. I That's, guess and. It, well, I love Jefferson Airplane, but that instrumental hidden track is some sort of additional version of White Rabbit. You know that song? No. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to play, I'm going to play White Rabbit later. Okay. Because I'm obsessed Ooh. with Jefferson Airplane, but I, I didn't know that they had an extra version. Wow. And it's a bop. I'm really excited for whoever is listening to that, who is excited by that knowledge. Yeah, I mean, you know, Surrealistic Pillow is a pretty famous album. I forgot. I missed that day. What? I guess I missed that day. Oh. Um, I don't remember what. Well, I guess I could just click on this idiot <laughs> go to album. <laughs> it also has Somebody to Love, which is like their other most famous song besides White Rabbit. Like, mm. don't you want somebody to love? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, why did you moving stop on me from singing. <laughs> All of my notes for this episode are just the lyrics of Somebody to Love as I prepare to sing it. Anyway. <clears throat> Caroline, you it's just great coughed to see like you. you were about to sing something. Ah! Anyway. That was the universal symbol for it to shush and listen to me, wasn't it? <laughs> Caroline, welcome home. Thank you. How was your trip? It was so nice. I drove home uh, to visit my parents. And where the fuck is that? <laughs> 
It's at 5467. <laughs> oh no, Caroline, wait. <laughs> um, I went home to St. Louis, which is my hometown where I am from. Um, and I I went to visit my parents. Uh, my father just celebrated his 70th birthday, so And what's his first and last name? <laughs> <laughs> and his mother's maiden name. <laughs> Uh, we went to Mastodon Park. What the hell's that? Do you know what a Mastodon is? Like an extinct mammal? Yeah. I didn't know what it was. Um, <laughs> that's it. No, I just thought of <laughs> just thought of something about Mastodons. One time I went on a field trip to this thing called Cranbrook Museum in the Detroit area. And that was the first time I ever fainted, <laughs> which I've now become known for. But um, I remember distinctly looking at this, like, woolly mammoth and oh my God. then, like, waking up on the floor and Whoa. being like, my shoulder hurts. Oh, my God. That's what I associate with prehistoric beasts. Wow. Um, yeah, that's it. I didn't really, I mean, it was nice. I got to see my family, but you guys wouldn't understand because you're not part of my family. Oh, my um, God. She just put on a black turtleneck. Uh, yeah. What did you do while I was gone? Oh my gosh. I really just snuggled these cats. Yeah. That was about it. Was it cold? It was pretty cold in here. And for some reason now it's sweltering Mm. in this room. It's very uncomfortable. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I prepared, I finally prepared something that we talked about a long time ago. Oh yeah? Oh, I know what it is. Which is films that are certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, the website says because it's relatively easy to get a 100% score after that first handful of reviews, because five is the minimum count for a movie to get its tomato meter, Mm -hmm. every film listed here has at least 40 reviews for the added bonus that everything is also certified fresh. Um, So there's, it was a long list and I, I picked out some that I thought were interesting here goes. (laughs) These are certified 100% fresh. Anatomy of a Murder, starring Jimmy Stewart and Lee Remick. Okay. 1935's The Bride of Frankenstein. A lot of these are super old. I don't know why people just respect old movies or have movies gone downhill in quality. Mm. Cool Hand Luke. Luke! (gasps) From 1967. (laughs) Starring Paul Newman. The Last Picture Show from 1971, starring Jeff Bridges, Cloris Leachman, Sybil Shepard, Leave No Trace, that's a newer movie starring Ben Foster and Thomas and McKenzie. You've got Modern Times, Charlie Chaplin and Paula Goddard movie. I really thought you were about to say You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. That's probably a pretty high score. The Philadelphia Story, that 1940 rom-com starring Katherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, and Jimmy Stewart. Singing in the Rain from 1952. You got your Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds, directed by Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly. The Terminator is 100% fresh Whoa. on Rotten Tomatoes. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, directed by James Cameron, who we've already <laughs> offended on this podcast. <laughs> Tokyo Story, which is about mm-hmm. provincial Japanese family. And that was all I cared about on that list. Okay. Those are all fresh. Certified 100% fresh. Yeah, those are my 10 recommendations in case anybody wants to watch a real fresh movie. Well, should we dive into it? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Episode 
what is it, five? Mm-hmm. Episode five of season one, White Rabbit, directed by Kevin Hooks, who is the son of Robert Hooks. Who that? Uh, a very famous director, actor, uh, one of the founding members of the Negro Ensemble Company, which if, if you are familiar with them, well, August Wilson and Susan Laurie Parks oh, both got okay. their start with them. Uh, and so that was founded in 1967. I bet my tongue. Oh no, are you okay? Yeah, it was just the tip. Just the tip. <laughs> anyway, um, he also directed an iconic episode of Tales from the Crypt. The, the son who directed this? Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Moving back to Kevin. Um, <laughs> uh, two for the show, the n- name of that episode. A man murders his wife and then the cop investigating him just trolls him. Um, I don't I, even know what Tales from the Crypt is. I've heard of that, but I don't ooh, know what it is. I think you would like it. It's kind of just like a, a goofy Twilight Zone. Oh, hot. But like, yeah, it's very... Silly. Um, I have a clip from that. Okay. Who's lying? Why don't you tell them about the affair you were having with your wife? And about the ring that you gave her? That ring under your bed was a woman's ring. It was my wife's. My wife gave it to your wife and they started seeing each other. That's my wife in your trunk. But you didn't know. Admit it! You found out your wife was leaving you for another woman. You went berserk. Decided to get some revenge. That's why you murdered my wife, isn't it? Borat, my wife. Did you hear how he was saying that? No. Oh my god, that was what like that was what really struck me about that piece. He says it so many times. <laughs> oh, silliness. All right. Um, he also directed another episode of Lost that we'll see later this season, episode fifteen. So stay I hope tuned. he incorporates some of that dialogue from Tales from the Crypt. Oh god, I hope so. <laughs> Um, all right. I've got a doozy again Ooh. as far as history and pop culture. So this episode premiered on October 20th. Two days before that, on October 18th, um, the Indian bandit and smuggler Vera Pan was killed. Never heard of her. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> um, I got all of this information from, of course, on this day.com, of course, Wikipedia. Sponsor. <laughs> right? Um, also an article from the New York Times and the Hindustan Times. Um, if you find this story at all interesting, I highly recommend a podcast that I stumbled upon doing research on this oh. called Kuni, the Crimes of India. Uh, oh, they do sick. a very in-depth three-parter on this guy. I think I found my new favorite podcast. They are delightful and they really go in. They read a book for this. Oh. Which is something I'll never do. do. (laughs) Um, So this man had a 36 year long career as a smuggler, poacher, and kidnapper. Most of the time he spent that living in forests in and around the states of Tamil Nadu, Karnataka, and Kerala. I really tried to... I sound like that fucking person who's like, okay, I'm gonna butcher this. But, like, I really did try to practice pronouncing them beforehand. <laughs> anyway, he was wanted for poaching at least 200 elephants, smuggling ivory oh. worth $2,600,000, and sandalwood worth $22 million. 
Um, I don't know. Is it too early to cancel this guy? I think here, okay, maybe I'm speaking a little prematurely, but this guy sounds like kind of a jerk. (laughs) He's killed approximately 184 people. About half of which were police officers, but he didn't have a problem with killing civilians and actually made a habit of killing anyone he even remotely suspected of being a police informant. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was real cold. He was... That's that's how you maintain a 36-year career in this business. You don't even let someone... Yeah, you don't even take any chances. Think about being a police informant. But somehow, he got married. Oh, well... Is um, he a rich catch? Well, I'll send you a picture of him. Let's see. Oh! Isn't that mustache? What Just, a choice. Right? That was like his look. That was one of the reasons why his wife married him. One she of said India's that. One of most eligible bachelors. <laughs> That's what I would call him. <laughs> um, he was real cold. Once early in his career, he invited a rival gang to an unforgettable luncheon uh, to discuss <laughs> setting up territories for them to operate in. Then at the end of the lunch, he gave a signal, ducked, and then his men who were hiding in the bushes just opened fired, wiping out the entire gang. Damn. He once blew up a bus containing 22 civilians and police. Uh, this was known as the Paler Blast. He once severed the head of a police officer and played football with it. (laughs) Right? Uh, And then my personal least favorite, he ordered the death of his own infant daughter because she began to cry while they were running from police. Wow. So he's like Tommy Shelby, but without Tommy Shelby's moral compass. Yeah. Like, just an absolute piece of shit monster. But- Not entirely, because he also had this reputation as this kind of Robin Hood-like figure. He was able to evade the police for so long, partially because of the state jurisdiction that prevented police officers from entering other states to apprehend him, but partially because he knew the terrain of the forest so well that he was hiding in, and also because the people would help him escape. Um, He was this weird celebrity figure, kind of. Is it like in the mob where, here we go again with the mob, (laughs) don't get us started. (laughs) Is it like we take care of you, like that sort of thing? Well, kind of, because he, when he would kidnap people, he would make these demands. And this part is just copy and pasted from the New York Times article. Um, The demands include financial compensation for Tamil people affected in ethnic riots in 1991. Mm. The recognition of Tamil as one of the languages used in government business in Karnataka, and the release of prisoners in Karnataka charged under a tough anti-terrorist law. So he partnered up with some of some like nationalist groups. Right. Um, also, accounts of his kidnapping victims indicate that he actually treated his hostages pretty well, and they <laughs> seemed to child. get along. Yeah, except for his baby. So there were a whole bunch of attempts to nab him in his 36-year-long career. The state governments of Tamil Nadu and Karnataka created a joint special task force. This ended up costing them a lot of money. And I really tried to learn the Indian numbering system, but I gave up (laughs) because I barely understand our numbering system. So 
I when I copy and pasted the figure into Google, uh, I got that it was equal to thirteen thousand four hundred and twenty-five eight hundred and sixty-four dollars okay. that it cost them to have this task force. After all of these failed attempts, it became clear that uh, because of Virnapan's knowledge of the forest, the only chance that they had of capturing him would be to draw him out of the forest. So, thus begins Operation Cocoon. <laughs> the task force infiltrated the enemy camp by posing as just normal people in the villages nearby where Virapan was hiding. They planted a mole... Mr. X, they called him. Hell yeah. Who learned that Virapan needed to go to a hospital in Salam for his eye. Uh, there was a rumor that he injured his eye grooming his mustache, which Sick. I like I to believe. So. Um, so on October 18th, 2004, Virapan and the rest of his army, which was now just down to three people besides him. So four <laughs> people total. They were escorted into a police vehicle disguised in, as an ambulance. So the police just, like, painted it like it was an ambulance and, like, said where it was going. But they were in such a hurry that they misspelled Salam as, uh, as Salam. So it, they mixed the A and the E. But Virapan didn't notice. Maybe because he had let his guard down or maybe because his eye was fucked up. Who knows? It sounds like it was written by... Whoever wrote Home Alone. (laughs) This is a caper on par with that. Um, Operation Cocoon took 10 months of planning, three weeks to execute, and then the final operation lasted just 45 minutes. So once the ambulance was in its position, the policeman who is posing as the ambulance driver ducks out, escapes, and the task force throws in a stun grenade. So they shout, you're surrounded, surrender, and then after a beat, an AK-47 just begins firing from inside the ambulance. So the task force fires 338 bullets then they hear silence so of course they throw another grenade Mm -hmm. after that they get closer and then they hear a hiss which turns out to be someone trying to breathe the rest of his men die in the ambulance on the way to the hospital but Virapan was killed on site at the age of 52 the same age that Christopher Reeve died the week before weird wake up America (laughs) After his death, there were rumors that it wasn't actually him because his because his mustache used to be longer. <laughs> people were like, mm, nope, not him. Uh, many, many people came and tried to see his body to see if he was actually dead, even though they knew that the hospital wouldn't let them in. Although the police insist that they tried to capture him alive, there were protests after his death by human rights activists who felt that Virapan did not have the opportunity to justify himself. And others are convinced that Virapan did not die at the site and that he was captured and tortured until he died. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I think. That, how, are, how is there not, like, ten movies and TV shows about that? Oh, there, there's a whole ton. Okay, good. There's so many. Um, and there's so much information that I left out. Um so again, I highly recommend checking out Cooney, The Crimes of India. Oh, also, um, Elliot Smith died the next day on October nineteenth. Weird. I just I just went through on Apple Music plug. <laughs> I just went through his albums to try to get to know his music a bit. Yeah. Uh okay. 
So last week, I kind of, last week, I don't know. I don't know when we did this. This time anymore. Um, anyway, the last time we spoke. <laughs> we made Anna a new rule. Have not spoken. <laughs> Our home is so large that we hardly see each other. <laughs> it's like in Arrested Development. <laughs> um, so I kind of teased at another controversy from Shark Tale. Oh, yes. But, okay, no, it's actually pretty boring. <laughs> when I read that there were people that were up in arms, I was like, oh boy, like, let's hear it. But then it kind of seems like it's not too far off. Like, that maybe was their idea with it. And so there were a bunch of people at the same time who were praising it for the same reason as um, people were criticizing it. Oh, I guess I'm, I should clarify. There, there were people that were complaining about Shark Tale having homosexual undertones. So the American Family Association was like, because he is a shark who is like coming out as a vegetarian. It makes more sense. I don't know. Whoa. But it's like kind of a stretch, but like basically it's just encouraging kids to be accepting of people. But I did find one article... (laughs) titled Something Swishy About Shark Tail <laughs> from the American Family Association Journal, um, written by Ed Vitagliano. Uh, Lenny's mannerisms and voice tend toward the effeminate. Lenny is the shark in question. <laughs> Voiced by the Jack gay Black. vegetarian. <laughs> and then he writes, dot, 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 but that's not the worst of it. For in sharkdom, masculinity is measured by one's proficiency as a meat eater. Is that true in that movie? I mean, no. (laughs) (laughs) If not, I don't think it's about masculinity. I think it's just his dad is a member of the mob and isn't embarrassed that his son doesn't want to... I love that we're dissecting Shark Tale, by the way. He writes, but Lenny is more than just a vegetarian. He turns out to enjoy dressing as a dolphin. An obvious right. solution to cross-dressing. <laughs> Never mind. This because... one is gay as fuck. <laughs> as we know, all sharks are boys, all dolphins are girls. <laughs> he sings the song from Billy Elliot. <laughs> That's the best romance. <laughs> he said, in this respect, Shark Tale comes far too close to taking a bite out of traditional oh moral God. and spiritual beliefs. And that's probably swimming a bit too close to shore for many parents. It's riddled with just shark puns. Yeah, this guy's an excellent writer. (laughs) Good job, Ed. And he knows how queer dolphins are. (laughs) He's got them sussed out. Um, okay, number one song? You want me to start guessing songs? Well... Yes. Before you guess, I want to say that when I heard the title of this song, I was like, what? And then I got it. Oh, is it one of those songs that the title of the song is not recognizably, like, is it one of those things? Kind of, yeah. I love those. Um, Do you have any guesses of what it might be? No, I can't think of anything right now. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) I can't I really trust you, and I'm really learning that I shouldn't. 
this is really telling about our relationship. Oh, office Depot. I can't believe that there's no no one's challenging her seat at the top for no, this long. Who I know. Who's releasing music? No one. Who's just her? You know what I realized or what I found out this this weekend? Hmm. I was almost named Sierra. <laughs> I was named... Well, I, it wouldn't have Huge been pronounced news. Sierra. It would have been yeah, we pronounced Kira. how to pronounce that in, like, Gaelic. But spelled like Sierra. Spelled like our Sierra. Oh, okay. I just Googled C-I-A-R-A pronounce, and it says okay. it's an Irish name, and it's pronounced Kira. Yeah. Can you imagine how different my life would be if I was named Kira? It would be really funny. If, like, on the first day of school growing up, because I would have been 10 years old when Goodies was at the top. Right. I would have had to be like, no, it's Kira. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, that's all I got. All right. Let's get down. Let's get down. (laughs) Let's get into this effing recap. (laughs) We start with a flashback. A young Jack Shepard confronts a bully assaulting his friend. He gives Jack the chance to leave, but Jack decides to stay with his friend. When Jack's father, Christian Shepard, sees his son's beaten face, he tells him he should not be a hero because, quote, he doesn't have what it takes. What does that mean? Uh, Don't have what it takes, like, to be a hero? Like, I, okay, I don't really understand what happened in that scene. I don't understand what his dad meant. I don't know if he meant- he's talking about the- like being a surgeon and the kid dying yeah i don't get if he was saying like i have what it takes and you don't or like yeah i think he's saying that you're not like a confident decision maker he's like 10 yeah but clearly this has stuck with him to the present day so i i just wrote that i'm confused by the scene with young jack and his dad but he seems very toxic because what well he had Two drinks in a row, so you knew. We saw him drinking, so we know he's an alcoholic. (laughs) On TV, you can't have more than one drink in one scene. (laughs) Or else you're a problem. Um, (laughs) Did you clock that he's a Carol Burnett fan? I did. (laughs) My favorite thing was when he said, after this boy died on the table today, he looked forward to coming home and laughing till his sides hurt. (laughs) Like, that's part of the point he was making. He he made decisions today. It didn't go the way that the ideal outcome was not reached, but he's still going to come home and enjoy the comedy stylings of Carol Burnett. <laughs> and I think his point was that She's Jack, just so funny. Jack doesn't have those kind of balls. Yeah, I still have a lot of questions about... What the fuck is his name? Christian Shepard after this episode. His name is Christian Shepard. God damn it. Oh my god, I didn't even notice that. Also, the person who wrote this, get ready till we talk about him later. Okay. But the writer of this episode is named Christian, so I wonder oh. who named this character. Um, but I guess one of my predictions is that we're going to see more about Jack's relationship with his dad because this feels, like, incomplete to me. Yeah. Especially well, yeah, because I mean, of something the mom said If later. he's seeing him in the forest, then, like... the. It's complete in that, like, the reveal that we will get to later. Yeah. But... I imagine we'll continue to see him in the forest, I guess. Yeah, that's one of my predictions. In the present day, Jack rescues Boone when Boone fails to save a drowning woman (laughs) named Joanna. Okay, when I saw that someone was drowning and I saw that Charlie was calling for Jack, I was like... Where's the lifeguard? I know, I said, where is Boone? 
Why didn't they call the lifeguard? <laughs> and then... He... Oh, God bless him. Oh, my he God. He didn't know how to do CPR, and then he didn't save a woman from He's death. He's really bad at his job. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was weird that, like, this emergency situation had clearly progressed so far. And number one, that Jack had slept through all of it like mm. maybe they're so far away that it's not yeah. very loud but like everyone else appeared to be awake and they yeah. just like let jack sleep until these people were two people were drowning and oh yeah like, i don't know we gotta get our guy <laughs> the doctor <laughs> we saw matthew fox shirtless in this scene so anybody who's team what's his name <laughs> team jack <laughs> tune in for that uh, later, Jack is approached by Hurley and Charlie about how to deal with their diminishing water supplies. Why is Charlie standing so close to Jack in that scene? Was he? You gotta check it out. It's like Hurley and Jack talking, looking at these bottles of water, and then Charlie's like touching, like his front is, I swear to God, touching Weird. Jack's back. And I thought, I was looking at it, and it's a really tight shot. It's like just the water and the three men filling the whole screen. So I was like, they must have told them to stand that close together. But then it just looked insane in a shot later that was farther away because you saw how much space there was and they were all just like touching. <laughs> Love it. At the same time, Boone confronts Jack for saving him and not Joanna. He says, who appointed you our savior? Again, this yep. show, like every single episode, they touched on this. So finally, this whole episode is about why Jack and Char... Why, why Jack in charge? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, this whole episode is about why Jack is in charge and whether or not he wants to be a leader or has what it takes again. <clears throat> I have a sound clip from the scene with Boone. Okay. So halfway through that conversation, Jack sees his dad in the distance again and starts walking away. And Boone calls after him. And uh, I'm just going to play it. <laughs> It just escalates. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, where are you going? Perry! <laughs> it, I don't know. It, like, I, w- I was Zero to 60. blown away by that. <laughs> Such a wild choice. What did you think about, do you think, so we know Boone's now losing it. Do you think that he actually legitimately would have preferred that he died instead of Joanna? No, I think he's confident that he could have swimmed back. Swimmed back. <laughs> Is what I just oh, said. Oh, it didn't look like it to me. Well, after Jack pulled him up out of the water, I think he wanted him to let him go so he could swim back to shore. Yeah, that's what he said, but... Okay. I don't know, but he'll never know, so right. he'll always be wondering that. So this is when Jack sees the man in the suit from the previous episode and runs after him. Upon catching up, he recognizes the man as Christian before he disappears. Continuing to chase him, Jack falls ass over tea kettle. <laughs> he falls for so long. It's an incredible it's scene. It's like the scene from Hot Rod. <laughs> and he's left clinging to a branch over a cliff. Okay, my favorite part of that. <laughs> when he's hanging on to the cliff, the, the shot of like his face like that's looking downward at him. Really makes it look like it's not a very long fall. Oh, I have a trivia about that. Okay. (laughs) Really? 
I forgot the singular for trivia. That's why I said it like that. Um, anyway, uh, Matthew Fox's stunt double did the hot rod fall, but Matthew Fox wanted to do the clinging to the cliff. So he actually did dangle off of a 30-foot cliff. Wait, so it's really just the way that it looks? Well, it's a 30-foot cliff. So they had like a digital, like a blue screen to make it look like the cliff is hundreds of feet. But in reality, it was 30 feet. I mean, so, 30 feet is still pretty long. Yeah. So that was a digital, <laughs> a digitally modified thing that you were looking at. Oh, interesting. But he did cling to the edge of a cliff. Hmm. Back at the beach, Claire faints from dehydration. Dration. <laughs> Claire faints from dehydration, and Charlie is unable to find the water rations. Locke volunteers to look for water in the jungle. My guy loves going on walkabout. <laughs> While searching, he discovers Jack and rescues him. Scary. Were you scared? I was scared <laughs> when he popped up. When he popped up, I thought it was going to be scared his of dad. Terry Oquin. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, when they're laying next to each other. <laughs> That uh, makes me think that the stuff with Kate is not so weird. Because Jack and John were really just, like, <laughs> cuddling after that. I feel moving. like Ed Vitagliano would have something to say. <laughs> oh, I, I would love to hear what kind of puns Vitagliano would come up with. About this. <laughs> While searching, he discovers... I said that. <laughs> he discovers Jack and rescues him. The two talk. Romantic. And Jack says he does not want to be the leader because he, quote, doesn't have what it takes. Locke advises him to pursue his hallucination of his father, explaining his belief that everything on the island happens for a reason. What's going on with this guy? Locke is loving everything that's happening. I understand that he's loving being able to walk again, but Mm -hmm. he has no qualms with, like, anything that has occurred. He stared the monster in its face and was, like, moving on. Yeah. (laughs) Let me go get some leaf water. Like, he's, he's all about this flashback um so now we're flashing back to adult jack visiting his mother who tells him that christian has abruptly left for australia and asks jack to bring him back he initially refuses but she guilts him into doing it by reminding him of what he did to his father yeah so was that explained no okay sweet so we're gonna see him again thank god we're gonna see him again (laughs) in sydney jack is informed by the manager of the hotel that christian was staying in that he has not been there for several days following an incident at a bar. (laughs) Jack finds alcohol pills and Christian's wallet in his room. In a morgue, Jack identifies Christian's body. The coroner tells him that his father suffered an alcohol-induced heart attack. Jack later argues with an Oceanic Airlines ticket agent who says the documentation to put Christian's coffin aboard Flight 815 is incomplete. Jack, frustrated, explains that all the arrangements are set for the funeral once he arrives at LAX and he needs to bury his father because he needs it to be over. That's what he says. So there's some real shit between these two that we haven't even seen. In the present day, at nightfall, Jack follows a sound he heard in the jungle, leading him to stumble upon a cave containing a spring of fresh water. How lit did that look? It looked looked so so good. Beautiful. It looked so delicious, and <laughs> the torch, the I don't know, it was a very exciting shot, yeah. the big torch and a big spring of fresh water. I was like... Also, he <laughs> finds a doll in it. Yeah, so... That did not look like a modern doll. That looked like a vintage doll, and I want to know who among them is a collector of vintage dolls. You think it's someone still living? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Hurley. <laughs> yeah. 
He also finds some debris from the plane, the dolls, <laughs> including his father's <laughs> coffin. He opens it only to discover that it's empty. Wikipedia says leading him to smash it up in frustration. I didn't I didn't know why he was smashing up that coffin. Yeah, it could be because he doesn't like his dad very much. <laughs> I don't like his dad very much. What? <laughs> um, do you think that we saw at the beginning of the episode we saw we had a drowned woman and now he picks up a drowned doll? Does that mean anything? It's like a woman. Maybe. Floating. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Charlie catches Boone giving water to an unconscious player. Okay. <laughs> he was just... Was he just pouring yeah. water into someone's Can you imagine? mouth when because they're sleeping? you're breathing when you're sleeping. You don't have that part of your throat closed. What? What did he think was going to happen? He's clearly... Unhinged he's, based on how he screamed earlier. <laughs> I think he's just kind of stupid, maybe. Why would he do that? Also, the subtitles that I saw, he said something like, I tried to give her some sooner, but blah, blah, blah. But the subtitles said, I tried to give her some soda. <laughs> just Boone with I tried a to find fucking soda. wild cherry Pepsi. <laughs> like, <laughs> shut up, shut up. He admits that he stole it in an attempt to take responsibility for its rationing. So this is the second time he's done this because he also tried to take responsibility for the gun when he was on the watch in the jungle. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He has a habit of, like, sneaking up on people while they're asleep. He's got a little bit of a savior complex and a little bit of a sneaky complex. (laughs) (laughs) A fight begins between him and some of the other survivors, but Jack returns and stops them. How many fucking times is Jack going to stop a fight? Oh my god, I wrote, okay, Jack. Because everyone just stops talking as soon as he walks in. Yeah. He's like their dad. He gives a speech telling them about the water he found and that they all need to cooperate to survive. Because, quote, if we can't live together, we're going to die alone. Live together, die alone. Is that a thing? Yeah. That's freaking Get that tattooed on me. Um, Caroline. (laughs) What? Would you please perform a scene with me? <laughs> Do you want to play Shannon or Sawyer? Oh my god. I want to play Shannon. Okay, I've got it on my computer. You have it? I've oh got god. it. You, did you transcribe yes. this into a Word document? Are you ready? Wait, which one are you playing? A nerd document. I'll be Shannon. Okay. <clears throat> have you got it or what? You're in my light sticks. Light sticks? What the hell is that light, supposed to Light, comma, sticks. As in those legs of yours. Look, while I really love my new nickname, and I think it's really sweet. Hey, calm down. I got your damn stuff. Beautiful work, Caroline. Thanks. (laughs) That was a really stunning scene. I couldn't believe any of that happened. And then it was followed up by this that really shook me. that was that last so he like you're good something tells me you're good like he's already pause 
like, you're good in bed. Like, he's already insinuated that he would exchange for sex. And then when she wasn't responsive, he was like, all right, $5,000. Like, it was a whole prank situation. I didn't realize that he actually was trying to... Well, he was trying to feel her out. I don't think he was literally like, I'll give you this if you fuck me. But he was definitely being like... Mm-hmm. I genuinely like, thought oh. that he just wanted the five thousand dollars <laughs> and something. Tell- I thought he was saying that something that you're good for it because you have a lot of money and you act like a that was turtle all so the time. disgusting. Something tells me you're good. Every time someone hits on Shannon, I am concerned about how old she is. So finally, I just googled how old the actors are, mm. and Maggie Grace is that her name? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Maggie Grace was 21 and Josh Holloway was 35. So I'm oh, not that sucks. I'm not that into it. <laughs> um, my next question is: Do you remember when Claire and Kate are talking and she's like, "What are you doing?" And Kate says she's sorting through clothes that are practical and impractical, and she holds up a tank top. Why is the, they're all wearing tank tops? Why is that tank top impractical? I don't know. It, that was so stupid. Because it was pretty. <laughs> yeah. Also, Claire's into astrology, which fucking, yes. of course. I wrote, I would kill to have Claire read my chart. <laughs> like, how dare Kate not be into this? Later, we see that Charlie has strawberry of uh, Strawberry Fields Forever tattoo. It says, living is easy with eyes closed. And that's Dominic Monaghan's actual tattoo. So oh, he must also, be a Beatles fan. Charlie said something uh, to Claire about John Locke having 400 knives. He was like... <laughs> Who carries 400 knives with them? And again, that was meta commentary from Charlie saying what we all were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hurley calls the Korean couple Chinese. Oh, he does? He's like, the Chinese people have water. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, when, oh, one of your favorite things happened, which is a just inexcusable face-to-face scene. Um, when they're on the ground. Oh, yeah. Sawyer says... Sawyer and Kate. I made this birthday wish four years ago. What the fuck? I think that was just a joke. I know that it's a joke, but it's not a good joke because it doesn't make... It takes a lot of explaining. <laughs> it's... I don't know. I got it. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't like that joke. We'll <laughs> talk to Christian Taylor about that. Um... <laughs> Then Sawyer calls Daniel Day Kim's character Mr. Miyagi. Oh, yeah. And I checked, and Mr. Miyagi's from Okinawa. So, (laughs) nice try, Sawyer. You're racist. He also, yeah. We found out this episode that Sawyer's racist. (laughs) Uh, One of my favorite things about this show is seeing the present-day person thinking about the past while hearing the sound of the flashback (laughs) before the visual. Because you have that incongruity, like... You heard, you heard ice clinking in a glass, and it's just oh, I didn't so, even notice. It's so weird to see someone like sitting by a campfire in a jungle, and then hear that familiar sound oh. of ice in like a rocks glass or whatever. I love when they do that. They've done it in every single episode, or like the same thing when you just see Jack sitting around somewhere, and you hear like footsteps on a floor that's yeah. not outside, and you're like, "What could that be?" And then you're like, "Oh, he's about to go into a flashback." <laughs> Um, (laughs) my last question that I had from watching this was, do British people write this? Because Charlie says the most British shit sometimes. And I looked up about this particular episode where I really noticed it a lot. He Uh said, get, he says, um, 
nicked it. He says wanker. Christian Taylor is an English-American screenwriter, director, and producer. Oh. And Christian Taylor's currently 52. Is this one of those number situations, like, lost? Oh, my God. The number 52 is going to keep coming up. (laughs) I didn't mean he's going to die. Oh. (laughs) Um... <laughs> We're gonna play the game Who is Fifty Two. Do you know how? <laughs> do you know how Amir Blumenfeld plays the game Who is Fifty Eight? Yeah, who's Fifty Two? Um, here's from Christian Taylor's Wikipedia. His just a little little bit about my guy. <laughs> okay. By the way, he's very hot. So. <laughs> That's the most important note. His thesis film won the gold medal for best dramatic film in 1992 at NYU. And okay. then it was nominated for a real fucking Oscar. So, like, Whoa, his thesis his that he made. film? Yeah. Whoa. Oh, <laughs> like okay. Like, live action short film or whatever. He was a writer and producer on Six Feet Under. <gasps> Something crazy. Most of the indoor scenes were filmed inside an abandoned Xerox building. Five years previously... That building was the site of the worst mass shooting in Hawaiian <gasps> history. It's from 1999, the Xerox murders. Byron Koji Uyasugi killed six of his co-workers and his supervisor. I'm, okay, I'm going to look that up and then Wild. research that. Um, after this aired, ABC picked up loss for nine additional episodes, which is after the 13 that were already scheduled. So nice. <laughs> they said, you sold us even more. Christian Taylor, the writer, the <laughs> the English-American screenwriter, you remember, <laughs> said that Jack's complicated relationship with his father gives him an excuse to reinvent himself. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Because everybody, so far, everybody's been reinventing themselves. Yeah, I, it's kind of like going to college <laughs> or going to a new school. You can just reinvent yourself. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, John Terry didn't play Jack's father in the previous episode, when he was that guy that was standing around looking just fine in that suit <laughs> that uh, this actor hadn't been cast yet. So that was a stand-in. Oh. Do you want to do a quiz? What quiz? Um, <laughs> <laughs> which type of cake are you? <laughs> I'm going to email you a link to a lost quiz. Okay. I, I just sent it. And um, if it's boring, we'll cut it out. <laughs> okay. Let me know when you're there. Hmm, the only email that I have is from Donald J. Trump. <laughs> I I ended up being subscribed to Donald Trump's news email blasts because I answered a poll one time on YouTube saying that I'm not excited for four more years of Trump. And so one of the great joys of this election has been just watching him unravel. I And I know this because... He writes all of the emails personally. Of course he does. Um, so it's that's been nice. Well, the quiz is from playbuzz.com. And it's I got it. I'm there. Jesus Christ. That's actually what he sent me. <laughs> okay. Um, how do you deal with confrontation? I deal with it then and there. I try to avoid it as much as possible. I tried to change the topic and calm the situation. And, oh, it just depends on the situation. <laughs> that could be an answer for every single one of these. It yeah. depends. <laughs> yeah, that's everyone's answer to everything. That You're not allowed to say that. Um, I'm going to say I try to change the topic to calm the situation. I'm going to say I try to avoid it as much as possible because that's true. Okay. Do you believe in God <laughs> unrelated to the quiz? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. I'm not sure. Or it doesn't concern me either way. I'm going to say it doesn't concern me either way. I'm going to say I'm not sure. 
How often do you go out of your way to help others? Often. Hardly ever. Every now and then, I only help those who are closest to me. Oh, Jesus. I'm going to say every now and then because I think that's true. I don't know. I'm going to say often. All right. Fuck. (laughs) Cut this out. (laughs) Oh, wait. Whose turn is it? Which is more influential? (laughs) I don't remember. Nature or nurture? So this sounds like a little bit of that epistemology that we were talking about yeah nature nurture both are equally influential or i don't have an opinion on the matter (laughs) oh god um i'm gonna say both i'm gonna say that too do you usually seek advice from others or do you make decisions exclusively on your own oh my god advice from others on my own i value other people's (laughs) opinions but i ultimately make my own decisions it just depends on the situation what the fuck? Um, I guess number three, I value. Because what else would you that's Yeah, that's my answer too. How dependable are you? Completely dependable. I can be pretty flaky. It depends on who I'm accountable to. Or only if it's something really important. I'm going to say I can be pretty flaky. I'm going to say it depends on who I'm accountable to. Because some things I really do care about. How loyal of a friend are you? extremely loyal not that loyal only loyal to certain friends only feel loyalty towards my family i'm gonna say certain friends i am too what a relief (laughs) what comes closest to being your biggest not you (laughs) there's no answer that says every single friend except anna so i'll (laughs) say certain your biggest fear not being in control commitment not being able to please everyone or my past forever haunting me (laughs) it has to be my past forever haunting me i guess i'm gonna say please everyone Uh, yeah that's what i said too how much does morality matter to you (laughs) very important not that important only when it affects others and i don't believe in moral norms i want to know which lost character would have said that yeah um fuck i don't know i'm I'm gonna gonna say say only when it affects others yeah i guess i'll say that too do you believe in fate if you could change your fate would (laughs) you nice pull yes no i believe in divine providence capital d capital p or no one can know what is divine providence again like divine being from the god because google says it's a school in westchester I believe in that school. God's pre- oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm really conflicted about this. I'm just going to say no. Yeah. I'm going to say no one can know, because fuck you for asking. Yeah, fuck this quiz. I can't, who can, Whose idea was it to do this quiz? Calculating results. Oh. Oh. Oh, my God. Who did you get? Wait, <laughs> should we say it on three? Yeah. One, two, three. Jack Sawyer. <laughs> Whoa, Team Sawyer, Team Jack! Whoa! Okay, read yours. Okay. You often put on a tough exterior, that's true, to prevent being vulnerable to others. Oh, read me. While many may view you as unapproachable or conflictional, your close friends understand the real you. Conflictional cannot be a real word. (laughs) While you may at times hold on to grudges or vengeful thoughts, your real desire is to find closure in past events that have hurt you. Yeah. Fuck. Wait, now I You got me, Playbus. I need to know- (laughs) I need to know everything about Sawyer now. Mine says, you are Jack Shepard. You have a genuine desire to lead and be in control. Do I? By the way, does Jack? (laughs) 
While you are marked by your deep love for people and care to help those in need, you may often fail at self-examination. You will do whatever it takes to do the right thing, but when you are confronted with the truth of your own failure, it may be a bit much at times to come face to face with it. <clears throat> okay. Let's uh let's listen to White Rabbit because I've been singing it all day long. Okay. This is not Grace Slick. This is actually Grace Potter. So one of my favorite bands, Grace Potter and the Nocturnals, covered this song for the for one of the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movies. Oh my god. Um she's incredible. When the man on the chessboard get up and tell you where to go and you've just had some kind of mushroom and your mind is moving slow go ask Alice I think she'll know when logic now that we've had that touching musical moment <laughs> R.I.P. to the dad's patient with the heart condition okay R.I.P. to Jack's dad, who died of myocardial infarction. One of my favorite words. Yeah, that sounded made up. <laughs> and um, R.I.P. to Drown Joanna. Yeah. Poor and Joanna. That's, that's what we got for that. I'm ready to disclose who I'd like to get out okay. of here. Should we do it on three? One, One two, two, three. three. The Morgue Doctor. Oh. oh similar Please the morgue doctor well i just said dead dad because he was a shitty dad yeah, he sucks um even though he's already dead i mean he's still on the island and i would like to vote him off if at all yeah possible. actually the morgue doctor is not on the island but i well i mean you know it's whatever you want it to be why do you not want him okay because in that scene he really clinically described the dad's death of the myocardial infarction okay and jack was clearly on the verge of tears and then Jack started openly crying after he identified them, and the doctor says nothing, just, like, zips him up. Okay, I was wondering about, like, how do surgeons deal with death like that when it's that close to them? That it just Is got... Jack a surgeon? Yeah. They haven't said that yet, have they? Oh. I mean, he performs surgery. Yeah, Fuck, no, I'm they not, did. Remember the first episode when he says that anymore. he <laughs> let out a sack of angel hair pasta? Oh, my that God. Woman? Sick. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It just got me thinking. Well, okay. So I guess he doesn't have what it takes because the dad... <laughs> if you cry. Yeah, the dad didn't cry. He watched fucking classic comedy. Okay. Here's MVP. Oh. Here's something interesting about the morgue doctor. The same actor is in the pilot. Really? And I have a clip of him. Okay. Stay away from the gas! Stay there! So he's the guy that's in front of Shannon while she's screaming. Whoa. What? What? <laughs> Wild. Um, you know, I thought I recognized him as the guy who stood in front of Shannon. But how? who would pay attention to his lines when you have her screaming like that? <laughs> okay, who okay, do you want? MVP or, on yeah. three. One, two, three. Victorian dolls. Oh, <laughs> What did Saeed do this time? Well, he split up that obnoxious scene between Kate and Sawyer. Um, yeah, when that's he true. Really, he was really playing water detective. That's why I think he was yeah, MVP. Okay. Um, when you were talking, when you played that clip of <laughs> Ian Summerholder screaming, I wished that I had clipped Naveen Andrews being like, 
Where did you get the water? <laughs> it's just, it's unparalleled in that scene. Like, no one else is screaming. And it was exactly the same as that. That was a zero to 60. As far as predictions go, the next episode is called House of the Rising Sun. So I better be seeing some scenes in Korea. I predict that Locke, he's got to have something to do with this monster or this plane crash because he's acting so irrationally. I just don't know what's up with him. Mm -hmm. And I also predict that we're going to see something progress between Sun and Michael and Walt's family Mm -hmm. because they're interacting in like every episode so far. New (laughs) mommy? So they have to be setting up something between them. Yeah, that's true. Because they're always talking to each other. That's all for predictions. Anything else? I think that's it. Well. A 250-pound rat with scimitar-like tusks and a surly disposition who'd love nothing more than to eviscerate anything comes near. 